This evening we are looking at a study on the life of Hagar. I've entitled our study as from an empty bottle to a well of water. From an empty bottle to a well of water. Hagar in the Bible is an interesting woman because she has a unique story of hope and purpose with a God who sees. And she's a tremendous uh, reminder to us when we feel alone, when we feel broken, when we feel insignificant, when we feel rejected by people, we have an understanding that God truly hears us and sees for us, that he has a purpose for us and that he cares for us. So Hagar's story is filled with so much of hope, especially when we feel abandoned, abused, and used. It's interesting that in, a, in this particular in a study, we will notice yet another name for God, El Roy, which is a name that Hagar gives to the Lord. El Roy means the God who sees, the God who sees. So let's look into some interesting facts about Hagar first of all, and then we'll go to the incidents that happened in her life. And then we will look at lessons that we can learn about Hagar for our own lives and lessons about how God ministered to her, which would also encourage us and challenge us this evening. So first of all, the meaning of her name. Hagar in the Bible means forsaken, flight, a stranger, or one that fears. Now, just in the name if it itself, if you notice, there's so much of her story. She's a stranger in the land. She has her struggles and fears. She's forced to take flight and leave what is known to her as a home. So naturally, she feels forsaken and abandoned. So if you are going through situations like this, you know, this study will definitely help and encourage. Or whenever we go through situations like this, to know that there is a God who hears, there is a God who sees. Secondly, she was an Egyptian slave. You know, she was an Egyptian woman. And she actually was a gift to Abraham and Sarah from Pharaoh. You remember in Genesis chapter 20, uh, Genesis chapter 12, we read when Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And as a result, what did Pharaoh's officials do? They took her to the palace. And if you notice, Abraham had already made a deal with Sarah, say, you're not my wife, you're my sister. And as a result, you know, because of that, you know, the scripture tells us in verse 16, he treated, that is, Pharaoh treated Abraham well for her sake. And Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. And then when it came to know that, look here, you know, she is actually his wife. You know, Pharaoh was you know, so upset and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? And then he says, okay, now take everything that you have, all that I have given you. And that is how she came along with Abraham and Sarah, as if we were to say, Sarah's servant you know, from Egypt back. So she was an Egyptian primarily, and her job was to take care of Sarah. 
and she did this very, very faithfully for 10 years. Now, where do we find the story of Hagar in the Bible? You have it in Genesis as well as in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. In Genesis, we find this in chapter 16, 21, and 25. And in Galatians, we find this in chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. A very quick summary of the story of Hagar in the Bible would be like this. Hagar was an Egyptian slave of Sarah, and after a decade of not being able to get pregnant, Sarah tells Hagar, hey, look here, would you be the surrogate? Would you lie with my husband Abraham and see whether you would conceive? And as soon as Hagar realized that she was pregnant, her attitude towards Sarah changed for the worse. And as a result, she thought she was now the greater one, so she became disrespectful to Sarah. Now, because of that, Sarah abused her terribly, and she ran away from home. You know, pregnant, running away, going into the desert. But God met with her in the desert, talked with her, you know, and encouraged her to get back home. And she did, you know, imagine that, okay. She did. She got back to that situation. And when she had a baby, you know, and Sarah had her baby 13 years later, and it was time for the weaning, you know, celebrations to take place, interactions between Ishmael and Isaac was not very favorable, according to Sarah. So she told Abraham, her husband, pack her up. I don't want her anymore. So around in a 16, 17 years of age, now both Hagar as well as Ishmael are now sent out from the home. Okay? But there again, when the son nearly died of thirst, you know, God showed up and saved his life. Okay? So here we have a picture of individuals who are not believers in that sense of the term. They are not Jews. But when they have cried out to God, believing that God would hear and answer, God listens, God hears, and God responds. So let's look at the relationship that was there between Sarah and Hagar. Their relationship in the Bible, first of all, was very, very unstable. Very, very unstable. These two women were placed in an awkward situation primarily because of Sarah's impatience and running ahead of God's plan. Now, the problems that Hagar faced was not because of her primarily, but it was because of Sarah. Instead of believing God that the seed, promised seed, would come through her, you know, she said, look, I'm getting impatient. Now, why don't we try this out? Maybe this is you know, what God wants. You know? So because of Sarah's mistake, you find that Hagar gets into trouble, okay? And as a result, you know, there is more turmoil that happens in the home, okay? If you notice in Genesis 16, 2, Sarah tells Abraham, I pray you, you know, go into my maid that it may be that I may obtain children by her, you know? Now, in today's culture, we may think, you know, what, you know, you know, what was she thinking, asking the husband to do something like that? But this was a well-documented practice in the ancient Near East. And the child would legally have been considered as Sarah's, okay? And you know, Hagar would have the responsibility of raising you know, the child, okay? Now, the scripture does not really tell us you know, what was Hagar's response to this 
request or command, if you were to say, okay? But she did, okay? What went on into her mind, we do not know. Maybe she would have thought, hey, look here, now there's no air, you know, if I buy the child, then, you know, even though I may be still considered a concubine, I would not really be the wife, but the child will definitely inherit everything. And remember, Abraham was a very wealthy guy. He was not a poor guy. So maybe that, you know, would have gone on into her mind. And as soon as, you know, she conceived, you know, she said, hey, I'm one up now against you, Sarah. Now I'm the boss. And as a result, problems, you know, uh, became even worse. The scripture tells us, you know, as soon as she, she saw, perceived, you know, that she was pregnant, she had a definitely changing of attitude totally. Now, what is Sarah's response to that? Sarah complains and then punishes Hagar. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 6, it says, Sarah complained bitterly to Abraham, and Abraham said, she is your maid, you can do whatever you want to her. And the scripture tells us you know, that you know, Sarah punished Hagar. She made life tough for her, if you were to say. And it's interesting, the same word is used for the oppression of the Israelites in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh. Think of the oppression that the you know, Israelites had under the Egyptians. You know, No straw, you have to make brick. You know? Pressure was there. And that's the same similar word that is used, which says that Sarah now punishes you know, Hagar. So life was really tough for you know, you know, Hagar. Here she is pregnant with all the situation that happens along with that. You know, and now external pressures also from her mistress or from, you know, from her, you know, the one who was in charge, you know, Sarah. Thirdly, we find as a result of this, Hagar fled into the desert to get away from Sarah. And that's where, you know, the story now takes a little turn. Okay. Pressures are there in the home. She decides to run away. And she stopped by a well on the way to Shur on the southern border of Canaan. Now, this is not a, you know, a small distance that she covered. She maybe she thought, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to Egypt, you know. And that's what some people think of doing, isn't it? You know, hey, there's a problem in the home, so I'm going to give up. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to leave this situation and run away from this situation. And that the scripture tells us the first time the angel of the Lord appeared to her and asked this question, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? You know, now, angel of the Lord Again, an emphasis of the theophany of the Lord appearing in a, in a invisible form in the Old Testament times before he came in the physical form in the New Testament times. You know. So here is the Lord Jesus appearing and asking this simple question, okay, where have you come from and where are you going? If you notice, this is the pattern of the Lord even when he was here on earth, isn't it? When he asked people who are sick, do you really want to be healed? Okay, so. The reason why the angel of the Lord asked this question is to find out, you know, what is really happening inside of her. Would she be willing to admit what she has done and what she is doing? Okay. So what was her response? She said, I am running away from my mistress, Sarah. Okay. No sign of, you know, you know surprise or fear 
in the heart of Hagar. She says, this is what I'm doing. You know? She admits what is happening. Now to this, you know, the angel replies, return to your mistress and submit to her. Think of it. If you have been running away from God, okay, God meets up with you and says, I want you to go back. What would your response be? You know, what would your response be? She could have said, look here, I'm not going to listen to you. Who are you anyway? I've decided I'm going to go. But no, if you notice, the Lord also says, you know, along with the command, return to your mistress. You know, he also says, I will increase your descendants that they too will be and they, that, that they will be too numerous to count. You are with child, you shall bear a son, you shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry. The word Ishmael means the Lord has heard, okay? God who sees, God who hears. So, it is not just a command to say go back, but there's also a promise that is attached to that. You say, I'm there, you know, don't worry, I'm there, you will be with child, you know, this is the child, you know, this is the name that you're going to give to the child. You shall bear a son. You shall bear a son, okay? So, the assurance of this promise enabled Hagar to go back. You know. Now, that also shows, you know, her willingness to believe in the God whom Abraham and Sarah were worshipping. Remember, she was from you know, Egypt. She was not you know, a believer in Yahweh. But having stayed with Abraham and Sarah, she would have understood something about it. The fact that they have God has called them to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to this place, all that must have been talked about. So she understands that this person whom she has seen is the Lord himself. You know? And when the Lord gives her a promise, you know, she decides to come back. So number four, Hagar returns to Sarah in obedience to God, in obedience to God. Okay. But that does not mean you know, a happy ending. That does not mean when we are living in obedience to God, we will have a, and they lived happily ever after story. No, you know, the scripture tells us definitely, you know, come to the Lord, you know, he will give you rest, okay? It's not a question of, you know, come to the Lord and things will all be smooth. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, she went back to a home that was filled with tension, that had no peace. She was living with emotional abandonment. She was also living with a spiritual wounding to say, hey, look at these guys said they believe in God, but they threw me out of the house. <laughs> or, and I, their life was so tough for me, even though they call themselves believers. Look at how they are responding. Whatever thoughts went on into the mind of Hagar. But the Lord said, I'm going to be with you. And she lived in obedience all those years. Okay, Why? Because she had that affirmation that God sees, he hears, he knows, you know, and as a result, that is what will give us strength. Fifthly, you find you know, that the struggle between Sarah and you know, Hagar really came to a final showdown in Genesis chapter 21 after the birth of Isaac. Now, the name Isaac means you know, laughter, isn't it? So, when the time of weaning came, which would have been around three to four years, 
by this time when you know, Ishmael would have been around 16, 17 years. You know. So for that much long period, you know, 15 years, they have been living together. Things may not definitely have been smooth because she has run away and come back. You know. How Sarah would have treated her all those years, the scripture does not say. But as soon as Sarah conceives, you know, things would have definitely become much more tougher. So definitely, at least for the three-year period, you know, during that weaning period, you know, life would have definitely been tough for you know, Hagar. So as a result, you know, when she sees them, you know, both of them together, the word that is used there for mocking, you know, basically means playing, okay, or making fun of, you would say, at some places, you know, you know but it's like a, a play on the words of Isaac means laughter and play, and here, you know, Ishmael was playing, making fun of you know, uh, Isaac. So Sarah is upset now and she says, you know, get rid, tells her husband Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Look at how she explains, you know, the slave woman and her son. Okay. She doesn't say your son, she doesn't say my servant, you know, the slave woman and her son. And the Bible says, though Abraham was displeased and distressed, okay? So, in this period, for Abraham, it would have been as, okay, this is my son. This is my son. You know, they have been living peacefully. With whatever situation has happened, you know, life is tough. But Abraham still says, this is my son. But now, <laughs> when Sarah has conceived and God has said, now look here, through your seed, Isaac is going to be born the same day, one year later, when the angel comes and visits. Now, three years have gone by. During those three years, Abraham also would have gone through his struggles. Now, how am I going to handle this situation? He asked the Lord, and the Lord says, send her away. Send her away. Okay. And so Abraham provides provisions for Hagar and Ishmael, you know, a bottle of water and some bread. And they go off into the desert of Beersheba on their way toward northern Arabia. And eventually, the water runs out. That's why we come to our title, An Empty Bottle. So Hagar places Ishmael under a bush so that at least he will die in the shade. And she moves some distance away to cry. Ishmael is also crying. Genesis 21, 17 says, The Lord heard his cry. The Lord heard his cry. And in chapter 21, verse 18, it says, God speaks to Hagar and tells her, come lift up the boy. Because the scripture says he was, you know, maybe uh, so famished, he was in a fetal position, you know, just drained out. Come lift up the boy and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Okay. And then the scripture tells us, Hagar opened her eyes, and behold, there was a well nearby, which she had not noticed before, which she had not noticed before. So, when her bottle of water was totally empty, the Lord steps in, opens her eyes to see a well of water. That is a real great picture of what God wants and continues to do in our lives each day, isn't it? When we feel ourselves abandoned, when we feel ourselves used and abused and cast aside, 
And I mean, we pray and I see ourselves as when people say, no longer needed. But still, when we feel empty inside of us, we come running to God. God hears our cry. He is one who sees and never leaves us. El Roy, the Lord who sees. <laughs> okay. So let's look at a couple of characteristics in the Bible of Hagar. First of all, she was emotionally abandoned. She was emotionally abandoned. Hagar was never first in anyone's life. Okay, There was no one she could count on. Not even the father of the child, you know, Abraham. First, Pharaoh gave her up by giving her to Abraham. Second, Sarah, you know, whom Hagar served, gave her up to Abraham as a wife. And third, when conflict arose between Sarah and Hagar after she becomes pregnant, Abraham gave her up too. So her whole life seemed to be a story of what other people want. She was pushed from pillar to post, you know, according to what was most convenient to others. We are living in a society where people do that, isn't it? And oftentimes you may go through such situations in which you feel that people are pushing you around, you know, you are no longer important to anybody, you know, you are emotionally drained out, you are feeling abandoned and lost. In this scenario, Hagar was also spiritually wounded. At this particular time, we know of only one family on the face of the earth to whom God had made himself known, that is Abraham and Sarah, okay? Now, Hagar would have learned about God from Abraham and Sarah. The people from whom she had learned all that she knew about God turned out to be desperately flawed believers. And that would have been devastating for her, isn't it? You know, what good thoughts can she have about Abraham and Sarah as God after this? Now, if you notice, when the people of the world hurt you, you may not really feel so bad. But when people in the church or people who call themselves believers hurt you, that's where frustrations can definitely increase. You know? And here she ran away from Sarah. You know? She ran away from God, you know, as it were, because you know, she said, God, you know, this is the God that you know, uh, these people are worshipping and this is how they treat me. How can I believe in this? And this is where we need to be careful. Yes, you may be emotionally wounded. You may be also be spiritually wounded. And those scars may be you know, quite deep as it were. And you may say, I'm giving up on my faith. And how can I trust you know, Christians anymore? How can I trust people who call themselves believers anymore? Because this person who called himself or herself a believer, this is what they said. This is what they did. You can be totally dried out and wounded inside. But we need to be careful also. The third important lesson that we learn is you know, in the midst of this, when you know, the Lord is the one who enabled her to conceive, she was proud. She was proud. Okay? And oftentimes, you know, when God blesses us, you know, we think it is because of our blood, sweat, and tears. And we forget everything else, you know, and the focus then comes upon you you and say, you have done it. You have done it. Now, remember again, in that particular culture, people thought that God is the one who closes up the womb. 
okay? And for woman was barren, remember, it was like, you know, very, very bad. You know? It was like a punishment from God. Now, in that scenario, once, you know, she has conceived, she recognizes, hey, God is the one who has blessed me. But God is the one who has cursed Sarah. And as a result, it got into her head, you know, and she became very proud. And that she would have definitely showed it, you know, to Sarah also. So it was not just that it was Sarah's fault, you know, here it was Hagar's fault as well. She was provoking her every time they saw around, you know. If you notice, you know, Elkanah, you know, you have, you know, his wives, you know, one was barren, one, you know, had children. There's a constant mockery. I'm one up. I can conceive. We cannot conceive. Pressures would have been there, you know, a feeling of, you know, uh, in a sort of one-upmanship would have been there. Definitely, Hagar was proud. She allowed her blessing to get into her head and she became lifted up in our heart. We must be careful that when God blesses us, remember it is God who has blessed us. You know, don't look down on somebody who does not have what you have and say, look, your God is cursing that person, but God is blessing me. No, no. Give credit to God. Trust in God. Don't allow it to get into your head. Number four, Hagar was courageous and strong. She was courageous and strong. When she ran away from Sarah, remember, she was pregnant. And in that state, she was running away to go back to Egypt. In her pregnant state, she was willing to brave the desert. Imagine her alone, tracking across the desert, refusing to die out there. Some people can get, you know, frozen and trapped in abuse, you know. If you notice, even in today's world, there's a lot of abuse at home that takes place, you know. Women are abused, you know. And there are times in which a woman can say, look here, this is too much, this is what I have to bear, and somehow go through with it, you know, in a frozen state, as it were, abandoned state, and say, hey, this is what life is all about, you know. But that's not what she did. She was not willing to be feel trapped in that state, you know. She had the courage, you know, to run from that situation. Important lesson. She braved death, you know, just so that she could get that freedom and her peace, you know. Important truth again in today's world where there's so much of oppression taking place and people are crying out, you know, how can I be delivered? It's not a question of running away from the situation. It's a question of running to God. It's not to say, this is what life is all about, I have to bear up with it, but willing to be courageous and trust God for a change to happen. Fifthly, that's what we learn about Hagar. She was teachable. She was teachable. Although she had a feeling of pride, you know, but she was also willing to learn. It was not that she was beyond saving. It was not that she was beyond saving. How do we know that? When God told her, to return to Sarah, you know. When God told her, look here, this is the promise I'm giving you. You will be, you will have a son and you will name him Ishmael. Now she had a purpose in life. The purpose was to bear a child who had an important destiny, you know. And this was her job, to rear the child who will have descendants without number. She was running away. God met with her changed her around, gave her an identity, gave her a purpose, gave her a destiny. Hagar knew that she was at fault, 
because she had provoked Sarah, she also knew that she had to make things right. So she was willing to go back. She was teachable. She could have said, no, I'm going to go towards Egypt, you know, I'm going to continue in that direction. But she chose to be obedient and go in God's direction. She submitted sovereignly to his will. And as a result, if you notice, her pride was melted away and was replaced with humility. That's an important truth, isn't it? When we meet Jesus, we are never the same. We are never the same. Situations are still the same, you know. But we are never the same. We have a new identity. We have a new purpose. You know? We have a new destiny to be fulfilled. We see things from a different perspective altogether. <coughs> Sixthly, Hagar had strong faith. Looking at Hagar's background coming out of Egypt meant she did not worship the God of heaven. She likely worshipped idols. But living with Abraham and Sarah would have changed all that. And Hagar more than likely would have come to believe in God. So this is why when the Lord showed up to talk with her, she knew exactly what was going on. And she gave God a name, the God who sees, the God who sees. Okay. So when Hagar decided to be obedient and return back home, she did so believing these words from God himself, the Lord who sees. What are the lessons that we can learn from Hagar's life? Okay, number one, remain humble in your blessings. Remain humble in your blessings. The first lesson we have to learn is humility. Your blessings doesn't mean that God has not blessed others. When Hagar realized that she was pregnant, she became proud because of her ideas about how God shows favor. Okay. God's favor doesn't look the same for everyone, nor does it arrive at the same time for us all. Sarah waited 25 years for a blessing of a baby to arrive. Remember, blessings are never a good reason to think of yourself as better than others. Important lesson. As you interact with others, remember that God has a plan for their blessings as well as yours. Each one is unique. So when you look at the blessings that you have, don't let it get to your head and look down on others, but give thanks to God who has blessed you. Secondly, bitterness in your heart has consequences. Sarah mistreats Hagar, you know, and as a result, you know, you find there's also Hagar provoking, mistreating, you know, there's uh, bitterness and uh, uh, mistreatment, you know, between the two of them. How did it all start off, you know, because of bitterness, you know. So if there's bitterness in your heart with what is happening in your situation, it will definitely have consequences. That's why the scripture says, take out the root of bitterness. Allow God to, you know, uh, melt that heart, you know, because the more the root of bitterness take control in our lives, you know, Pulling out a strong root is going to be much more difficult. So when it's in that first stage itself, learn to forgive. Remove that bitterness from whatever people have done to you, said to you. Because remember, bitterness of heart has consequences. Thirdly, running from problems rarely solves them. Running from problems rarely solves them. <laughs> okay. Now, she thought 
that if she ran away from the problem, you know, the problem will go away. No. The Lord met with her and told her what? Now go back to the problem. Go back to the problem. The difference was now that God was going to be with her. Isn't that more important than asking God to take away our problems? Oftentimes we pray to God like that, isn't it? Either we actually literally run away from the problems or you ask God, God, take away this problem. What God will say is, look, I'm going to be with you in the problems. Which is better? Do you pray that God, please take away the storms of life? Or are you praying to the Lord and say, Lord, be with me in the storms of life? If the Lord is with you in the storms of life, that's in a better, better position, isn't it? <laughs> if you notice, secondly, second time, when you know, finally you know, Sarah and Abraham says, get out of the house, you know, when her water is spent totally, you know, she thinks, this is how I'm going to end my life now. You know, it is all over. When she was at the bottommost rung of her life, you know, cries out to God, God again comes on the seal, you know. Running from the problems is not going to solve, but running to God with your problems and asking Him to be there with you will give you a change of not only a perspective, but also His presence empowers us to go through the problems. Fourthly, <clears throat> know when you have made a mistake and admit it. Know when you have made a mistake and admit it. Hagar would have definitely changed her outlook of Sarah as soon as she realized that she had received the blessing of fertility. Okay. Maybe she would have said, you know, I'm not going to do this work anymore, you know. Or she would have said, you know, not this job, you know, I'm pregnant, I can't do this, you know, it's your job, you know. And as a result, maybe her attitude, her language would have been definitely hurtful. Okay. Now, Hagar has willfully provoked Sarah. But what does she do? When she runs away and God meets with her, Hagar confessed that she ran away. But she did not confess that she had provoked and hurt Sarah. Okay? She admits that I've run away from my mistress. But she doesn't put the reason as her having a part in that. <laughs> she didn't acknowledge her role in creating the sticky situation she was in. But God knows everything, isn't it? God knows everything. So the Lord commands her and says, okay, you know, go back home. Go back home. Going back home was a sign of her willing to accept that she was at fault too. And that is what repentance is all about, isn't it? Turning around, you know. Go apologize, go humble yourself, you know, and wait for my time. And wait, you know, for the promised one, the, you know, the son who would be born to you. That is what God wants us to do. When you have recognized that you are the cause of some tension, don't put the blame on others. Be willing to admit it. Repent, you know, and trust God for the consequences. You know. Sixteen years later, you know, Sarah conceives. Okay, couple of important lessons about God from Hagar's life. We have seen lessons from Sarah, we have seen lessons from Hagar. You know. Where does God fit into all this situation? When we go through feelings of abandonment, when we 
go through feelings of abuse, when we go through feelings of sorrow and storms in our lives, you know, where is God when it hurts? That was a book written by Philip Yancey many years ago. So let's learn some lessons about God so that when we go through similar situations, maybe, how should we respond? Number one, God finds lost people. God finds lost people. That should be a tremendous encouragement to each one of us this evening. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 7 tells us, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. It is very striking that God steps into Hagar's life at a time when you would least expect it. She's feeling all rotten inside. She's feeling that, you know, she, you know people have been very you know, unjust to her, you know. This would be the time when we would say, you know, we can't hear the voice of God. When we are so cut off from God. But this is the time when God stepped down and found her. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how much God loves and cares for us? When we think everything is lost, you know, when we feel abandoned, the Lord himself seeks and saves that which is lost. The beautiful picture in the New Testament is uh, now the shepherd going, searching for the lost sheep. And God continues to do that for us even today. And as God intercepts her life, God's questions awaken Hagar's conscience. And that's what God does for us. When he finds us, he asks us questions which will help us to analyze, understand what we are going through so that we can return to God. So when God asks questions, be willing to answer it because that gives us you know, a key to answers for the situation that we go through. And the Lord says, return to your mistress and submit to her and I will surely multiply your offsprings. When we have God by our side and he says, I'm going to be there with you, you know, that is definitely a great big position to be in. Ask yourself this evening, do you sense God's presence or do you sense only the tensions and the turmoils and the feelings of abandonment? No, look for God in that because God is the one who is looking for you. And as he senses presence, his presence will take you through whatever tough situation you are going through even right now. Secondly, God hears suffering people. God hears suffering people. The scripture tells us in Genesis 16, 11, the Lord says, you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Remember, the Bible does not say the Lord has listened to your prayer, you know. Up to this point, there's no suggestion that you know, Hagar prayed, okay? Why would you pray to God when you're running away from him? But remember, the scripture tells us, isn't it? God keeps our tears in his bottle. God hears our tears as well as our prayers. He has heard our suffering. The exhausted sighs that we have when we go through tough situations in life. The unanswered questions that we have when we go through tough situations in life, the scripture teaches us the Lord has listened to your affliction. The Lord hears suffering people. The Lord hears suffering people. 
and in a, there must have been definite times when Hagar would have said to herself, Pharaoh didn't look after me, Abraham didn't look after me, Sarah didn't look after me, but now I found one who looks after me. So if you feel yourself abandoned by people around you, don't feel bad. God is saying, I am there with you. I am hearing your suffering. You know? Even though you may feel that you don't have words to express yourself, God hears your suffering and he responds. Thirdly, he never rejects us. He never rejects us. <laughs> okay. We can't help sympathize with Hagar for all that she was going through. She had a right to be angry. She was powerless to stop the abuse until she felt that she had no choice but to run away. But in that scenario, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself comes and accepts her, isn't it? Has accepts her. God did not allow her to perish. You know? God did not allow her to be rejected. You know? God did not say, look here, this is what my people have done. This is God's plan for your life. No, no, no. Now remember, when it seems like others are rejecting you, God sees and hears you. He always accepts you. Don't let rejection by others define you, but allow it to refine you. Hagar had the confidence and security in God to humbly return to Sarah and Abraham. And as a result, she was able to fulfill her role in biblical history. Fourthly, God sees everyone in every situation. Sees everyone in every situation. Who was Hagar? She was just an insignificant servant girl. Nobody saw her. She mattered to nobody. Okay, But when the Lord Jesus showed up, she realized that she was not alone. That she mattered to someone. That she mattered to the king of the universe. That she mattered to God, the creator. And that's why she gives the name and says, the God who sees. Nothing escapes God's eyes. You may have an abusive boss, you may have a stubborn child, you may have a difficult husband, you may have uncomfortable living situation, you may have wicked family members, but remember, nothing escapes God's eyes. God sees when you feel like you can't get out of bed. God sees when you feel like crawling under a rock. God sees when you feel like hiding from the world. And the amazing thing about God seeing is that he sees not with the eyes of condemnation, but with the eyes of love to want her to draw her back to himself. And that's the picture of the God whom we serve, isn't it? When the Lord looks at us, it is not with an act of condemning. When Jesus looked at Peter after he had denied him three times, that one look, it was not an act of condemnation to say, look, I told you. No, it was an act of love. And that's why the scripture says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. The Lord sees and hears and he responds to our cries and he asks us out of love to come back to him. Fifthly, God meets us where we are, wherever that is. God meets us where we are, wherever that is. Hagar's pride had landed her in the desert. She was a mess. Hot, tired, thirsty, depressed. In that messy situation, God met up with her. 
Maybe this evening you're thinking, hey, this mess is my own creation. Why should God bother about me? You know, you may be thinking, you know, I don't deserve his grace, you know, because it's my mistakes, you know, that has landed me up in this soup, you know. But God wants to meet up, talk with you face to face, because he's a God who meets us wherever we are in, whatever situation we are in, even in the mess that we have created. And when we are at our worst, God is still interested in us. Sixthly, God still works even when we go off plan and as a plan for the unplanned. What is the off plan? <laughs> Hagar and Abraham was the off plan, you know. But when this was not God's plan, you know, it was unplanned, God still works. God still works. God is powerful and will find ways to love us and glorify himself even when we don't stick to his original plan. Romans 8.28 tells us that so beautifully. God will make all things work together for our good. When I say all things, it's including the mess, you know, including the mistakes. If we turn to him, he's able to turn things around. You know. God had promised Abraham that from his seed, there'll be innumerable descendants you know, from, through his wife, Sarah. But Abraham and Sarah at that point did not believe. And Hagar and Abraham was the result of that. Ishmael was the result of that. In a way, Ishmael was never even supposed to have been born. Had Sarah remained faithful to God's provision, Hagar would never have been offered up as a womb slave to bear Abraham's hair. Yet, God said, what to Hagar? You will have a child. His name will be Ishmael. And his descendants will also be numerous. When it comes to the unplanned, God still says, I am going to still work, even though things are out of you know, control. It is in a, your mistake. I'm still going to make something beautiful out of all the mess that has happened. God does not just ignore Hagar and Ishmael or treat them as an inconvenience to his plan, but he still uses them to show us his tender, faithful love and concern for each one of us, even today. God values every single life, even the ones that come from unplanned and unapproved situations. That's why there's no such thing as an unplanned child, so let's abort. No, every child is from God. Whatever the situation, you know, God has a plan. God has a plan. Do not say this was unplanned, so as a result, you can abort. Not at all. Seventhly, God is near to the brokenhearted. God is near to the brokenhearted. Her precious son, whom God had given her, given to her, and also named the son as Ishmael. Now, when Isaac is born, 17 years of age, you know, they are chucked out of the house, you know, now starving to death, thirsty, nothing to drink, you know, imagine in the desert, you know, walking and walking and walking, okay, and here is a 17-year-old son crying out, you know, and saying, look here, you know, mom, you know, I'm so thirsty, I'm so hungry, I'm so weak, and finally maybe he just faints, you know, in uh, that, you know, 
whole uh, scenario of you know, weakness. How would a mother feel? You know? A mother who has seen this child grow up for 17 years now feels abandoned you know, and doesn't want to see the child die. She knows that's the end that's going to happen for both of them. So she puts the son under a shade you know, and you know, when the water was and the skin was gone, the scripture says she put the boy under the, one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. She began to sob. And here again, no prayer is mentioned specifically, but God hears her cry. And she has a second encounter with God. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Psalm 34 and verse 18 tells us, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When we are in deep despair, our tendency often is to try and shut out the world. And sometimes that includes shutting out God also. But God is the one who understands our distress like no other human being. Sometimes he will put people in our life and speak through them to comfort us. But what he longs for us is to bend our ears toward him and listen to him. God is there with us, wanting to speak to us in our struggles, in our sorrows, in our abandonment. Would we learn about God from this passage and listen to God's voice so that he will do his work and change our lives? Number eight. God's plan is always the best plan to follow, isn't it? I'm sure you agree with me. You know, God has said that from this person, Ishmael, also there'll be many descendants. That is a promise to God. And when God makes a promise, he does not lie. He does not break promises. No matter how long it takes, God does definitely fulfill his word, isn't it? She thought everything is lost. Our God is still the same who keeps his word. When you think that you are at the end of a rope, somebody said, you know, put a knot around it and hold on to it. Okay. And that knot is God. Okay. So when you think you are at the end of the rope, don't give up. Don't give up. God is still there. And as she cries out, God gives her the word. And she opens her eyes. And what does she see? She saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy to drink. God has a powerful lesson for us this evening. You know. We think that we you know, can outsmart God. You know. That's what Sarah thought she would do. Okay. She thought that her plan would work out well. But if we do that, we have definitely a price to play. You know. If you notice the scripture says in Galatians chapter 4, in verse 22 and 23, that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. And God used this particular situation to teach us a lesson definitely. That God's plan 
is always the best plan to follow. Don't give up and take a shortcut and land up somewhere else. You know, be willing to wait. Allow God to do His work. You know, God's plan is definitely the very best. Number nine. Sometimes all that you have is God and God alone. They had left the safety and the wealth of Abraham's presence, you know, and now they had nothing but a water bottle, which was empty, nothing left, no food left. They had nothing, but all that they had was God. And that was sufficient, isn't it? God covered them, God provided from them, God sustained them. As the song says, you take the whole world, but give me Jesus. As long as we have the Lord with us, that is more than sufficient. And that is what God wants to teach us every day. Sometimes he takes things away from us, if our dependency is on that, to say, hey, look here, that's not important. I'm the one who's important. Trust in me, lean on me. He takes us through situations to help us to understand this important truth, that all that we need is God and God alone. Number 10, God hears and sees us. Ishmael's name means God hears, you know, and Hagar gave the name to God, the Lord who sees. These are the two things, the two aspects, you know. If in case, you know, different thoughts you have learned this evening, but remember this one important truth from Hagar's life, God hears, God sees. Never feel abandoned, you know, from God. The world may abandon you. You may go through the toughest of toughest situations here and that. But remember, our God is a God who hears. Our God is a God who sees. And also, our God is a God who provides miraculously. So far, she didn't see the well. But now, suddenly, her eyes were open. And that's what happens, isn't it? When we go through the problems of life, we can see only those problems. Our eyes are closed. Remember when Jesus and the disciples were in the storm. All that they saw was the storm. And they go to Jesus and says, don't you care that we perish? They were concerned only about them. They saw only the storm. They didn't see Jesus who was there with them. They didn't realize that if the boat was going to sink, Jesus was also going to sink. That was not going to be possible. They didn't think of all that. They thought only about themselves. And that's what happens you know, <laughs> when we are not putting our focus on God only on the situation that we are going through, our eyes are so blinded to what God has for us. But when we listen to God's voice, our eyes are open. She saw this well of water which was able to meet her need. <clears throat> there is nothing that you can need more in a desert than water and no sight more welcome than a well full of it right where you are. God made the impossible happen for Hagar out of his great love for her. Finally, number 12, God creates a message out of a mess. Now, oftentimes you may think, isn't it? Now, look at this because of Abraham and Sarah's mistake today all along. We are having fights, Israel and Arabs, and if only they didn't mess up, things would have been so good, you know. Why did God allow that? How come God allowed that, you know? Didn't, couldn't God do something to prevent that? If you know, Isaac was the, you know, you know, the promised one, if the Jews were going to be the promised one, you know, why did God allow Ishmael to come into the being in the first place itself? But remember, God uses you know, the mess that we are in to create a message. 
If you notice in Galatians 4, 21 to 31, Paul uses the story of Hagar as an allegory to distinguish law from grace. Hagar, the bondwoman, is uh, contrasted with Sarah, the free woman, and Ishmael, born after the flesh, with Isaac, born through promise. So freedom and grace appear you know, as the characteristic graces of Christianity, or qualities of Christianity. Hagar represents the old covenant, and Sarah, the new covenant, which is superior to the old with its ordinances. If you notice, New Testament, Paul refers to that. God gave him the wisdom to see why it happened. Was there some good out of that? Yes, that's the lesson. The lesson that we learn is, hey, one was through the law, the other one was through the grace. So Hagar and Sarah, Isaac and Ishmael are used by God as object lessons for us. You know? Important truth, if we this evening are willing to admit before God, Lord, we have messed up. Lord, we feel abandoned. Lord, we feel lost out. Lord, this is too much. Look around. God hears. God sees. He hears our cry. He opens our eyes to see from the empty bottle to the well full of water. In Isaiah 35, 6 and 7, the New Living Translation says, Springs will gush forth in the wilderness. Streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh, grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. Remember, only God can turn our arid wastelands into lush plains again. Matthew's Gospel 11, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, heavy laden, I will give you rest. So whatever situation you are going through this evening, take courage, come to the Lord. Situations may not change, but God says, I'm going to be with you. I will give you the rest. See the hand of God. Look for his hand. Hear his voice. See his working, and then in that situation, you'd be able to say, yes, the Lord is with me. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.